Now, it's time for the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast with Dean Linky. The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From advocacy, education, and networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Join the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's our veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. Yes, this is Dean Linky, and yes, I do love college soccer, and yes, we have a big show, and I mean big. It's a longer show, but I can tell you, if you have the time, it is worth every second, and once again, we cover every level of college soccer, men and women. Coming up on the show, we'll be joined by Stephanie Golan, who has the Minnesota women's soccer team at number nine in the country and unbeaten in Big Ten play. Stephanie came to Minnesota from Army. Speaking of Army, this Friday it's Army-Navy 5. The fifth year, those two men's teams play at PPNL Park in Philadelphia Friday night at 7 p.m. on the American Sports Network. And Army's Russell Payne, who is also the goalkeeper coach for Jurgen Klinsmann and the U.S. national team, joins me. Also on Friday night, Syracuse, the number two team in the NSCAA Men's Division I rankings, faces the number three Notre Dame Fighting Irish in South Bend. That game is 7 p.m. on the ACC Network Extra. And Syracuse head coach Ian McIntyre, who led the Orange to the College Cup a year ago and has his team at 8-0 to start the season, he joins me. And he's not the only Ian on the show. I'm thrilled to have Ian Barker, the NSCAA Director of Coaching on the program, breaking down how the NSCAA is helping college coaches at every level. Really enjoyed my time with Ian Barker. I hope you do. Travis Clark, TopDoorSoccer.com staff writer and editor, pops by to cover storylines for Division II soccer and walks us up to a visit with Jeff Hostler, who has won two Division I Women's National Championships at Grand Valley State University in two years and once again has the Lakers at number one in the country. And on the D3 side, Chris Brown, who used to coach at Marquette, continues to keep Kenyon College in Ohio among the nation's best. His men's team is number two in the NSCAA Division Three rankings, and he joins me. Ruben Gonzalez has led Cerritos College to four national championships in the NJCAA Women's Division Three level. His team has won 50 straight games, and he is on. And my friends from the NAIA have audio updates covering men and women's soccer. Are you kidding me? Is that not a big show? I think it is. And I think it starts right after this message from the NSCAA. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. Okay, we start with women's soccer on the D1 side, where Stanford under Paul Ratcliffe is the number one team in the country. Steve Swanson has Virginia at number two with an 8-1 record, and they will face the number three Florida State Seminoles and Mark Krikorian, who has already been on this program on Sunday. Jennifer Rockwood has BYU at number four. That's incredible. West Virginia with Nikki Izzo-Brown is number five. Dave Nolan's Hoyas are number six with, ironically, wins over West Virginia and Virginia. 
How about some love for Georgetown? Robbie Church and Duke are number seven, and Shelly Smith has South Carolina at number eight. And what a job Stephanie Golan has done with the Minnesota Golden Gophers, your number nine team in the country. Stephanie played at Duke, got into coaching, was doing a great job at Army before getting the call to take over the Minnesota team five years ago. And folks, she is a delight to talk to. She knows the game. She cares about the game, and she is doing a spectacular job. The mother of two, including young Mighty Max, who was born just a few months ago, I had the pleasure of calling the Penn State-Minnesota game last Friday on the Big Ten Network, and it was a fantastic display of will and skill for the women's college game. Minnesota actually dominated for parts of the game before giving up a counterattack goal to Penn State's Megan Schaefer, showing the heart of a champion, and this team has that potential, I do believe. Big Ten's forward of the year from a year ago, Simone Colander, answered one minute later, and it sounded like this on the Big Ten Network. From the other side, Colander has answered, and we are tied at one. What a game, what a goal from Simone Colander. I set the table for Stephanie Golan, the head coach of the Minnesota women's soccer team. Coach, you just heard the goal. That was a big-time game between Minnesota and Penn State. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's two top teams in the in the Big Ten who, you know, throughout the time that I've been here, it's always been a one-goal game. Um, you know, this is the first one that ended in a tie, and, you know, they did a great job to, to score on a nice counter. Um, and, you know, we, we responded very, very quickly. And, you know, Simone got up on the back post, great service from April Bakken. You know, Simone got her head on it finds the back of the net and there we are tied one-to-one and you know the the fans got to see 110 minutes of really good soccer amazing you know now you're number nine in the country but uh, reflecting on that game I gotta admit afterwards I was like was that the greatest game or was I just being (laughs) crazy you know I mean what are your thoughts yeah, it was a it was a really really good game, and you know, for us, we had just come off of uh, the the tail end of a really tough non conference schedule. We had played Duke at Duke, we had played Stanford at Stanford, we played Santa Clara at Santa Clara, and then we come home to open up the the Big Ten against the defending national champ Penn State. And you know, I think that those three games on the road really prepared us for the the quality of soccer that we were going to face um, on on Friday night. And the game was not a disappointment by any means. You know, I thought uh, at the end of the day, I thought a a tie was a a fair result. I would have been happier if we won, but uh, it was a great game nonetheless. We're talking Minnesota Golden Gophers. Stephanie Golan, what a job she's done coming over from Army. And and Stephanie, I mean, number nine in the country, okay? Then you look at Colander scoring all these goals. Josie Stever was amazing. You've got Hobbs in goal. you got some toughness in the back. You're holding midfielder. What's her name again? She was incredible. I mean, she was going toe-to-toe. That's uh, sophomore Emily Heslin. I mean, how tough was she? I mean, just your entire team, just tell people that are listening right now how tough your team is our team is fantastic you know we've got we've got great kids you know from from top to bottom uh, on our roster our kids come out on a daily basis they put in the work they put in the focus they've really bought in to the way that we're that we're trying to play and you know they're they're executing really really well right now I've got a tremendous staff everything just fits together really really well and we're happy with the product that we put on the on the field 
You must be a great coach because I called a game with Simone Colander when she was a freshman, and it looked like a giraffe walking with the wrong size shoes, you know? And, and now she, and I mean that endearingly, right? Because now, right. I mean, she has just been amazing. I mean, talk about her progress. Sure. I mean, you know, Simone came in, and, you know, it's, it's tough for some of these guys to come in and play right away as freshmen and to play big roles right away as, as freshmen. And, you know, Simone came in, and she had grown up as, as a central midfielder on her team and we decided pretty quickly that we wanted to make her into into a forward and you can see the progress because you know starting off she wasn't scoring many goals and you know part of that is due to just being new to the position and having to learn how to move, how to uh, how to shape her body to be effective with what she can do, and you know she's really bought in over the past uh, the past couple of seasons and has gotten better and better. And you know, uh, in the in the summers she's gone to Colorado to play, she's gone to Seattle to play. So she's really done a great job to invest her time and focus into becoming an outstanding forward, Um, not just a a really good team player, but, you know, somebody who can individually impact the game. But the the thing that I think uh, she she does better this year than any year before is bring other players into the game and make those players around her better. Oh, she showed that on Friday night, and then they beat Ohio State on Sunday. They've got Indiana and Purdue this coming weekend. And here's the deal. Simone Colander, Simone Colander, people got to know her, but they also got to know Minnesota. Are you ready for it, or do you not want the spotlight? Because I'm saying you guys deserve the spotlight, you deserve the ranking, and you guys can make a run. Well, I appreciate that, you know, and we we certainly set high expectations within the program. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, we still have a lot of season left and, you know, we can't get too far ahead of ourselves. And we have to every every time out, you know, like after the game on Sunday, we, we told our team, you know, enjoy the win, you know, take today to really enjoy it. Take tomorrow, Monday to recover from it. And take Tuesday to flip the page and get into prep mode for Indiana. Because the great thing about the Big Ten is there's no easy game. There's no easy opponent. It doesn't matter records. It doesn't matter what's happened in the in the past. Anybody can beat anybody on any given day. And our kids have really, really bought into that. And, you know, I thought yesterday was a tremendous session for us. When you think about uh, the Big Ten, you know, ACC has always garnered a lot of attention. But then last mm-hmm. year, Penn State wins the national championship. Rutgers is in the College Cup. So mm-hmm. Big Ten saying, hey, we'll go toe-to-toe with any conference in the country. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think we've got a great uh, a great group of teams in our conference. And I think, you know, you saw this year uh, some of the teams within the Big Ten scheduling some big opponents from other conferences. And I think, you know, we, we are trying to make a statement. We are trying to say, hey, you know, we we can play with anybody, we can compete with anybody, we can beat anybody. And, you know, we, we definitely want to change the perception of what people think the style of, of the Big Ten is. You know, I think we're getting further away from, you know, the athleticism and physicality being the main focus. And you have a lot of teams that still have those components to it, but who are trying to play a quality brand of, of possession soccer, who are creating really quality scoring chances through beautiful play. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of coaches within the conference who have who have pushed within their, their programs to transition that way, and I think it's great. Well, speaking of the ACC, Stephanie Golan played at Duke. How did your time at Duke prepare you to be a head coach? You know, it's um, – I, I think – 
when most coaches that you talk to, a lot of the the motivation to get into coaching comes from the experience that we had uh, as as players growing up and what we feel we got from the game. And I was fortunate to have been recruited and, and played for Bill Hempen for the majority of my career. And then Robbie Church came in my, my final year. And, you know, they're, they're two very different coaches with two very different styles, both very effective. And I learned so much from both of them about how to win, about how to prepare, about how to care about individual players within the team um, on top of being able to build a team. And, you know, um, when, when I was getting ready to graduate and trying to decide what direction to go, both of them pushed me in the direction of, of getting into coaching, and I couldn't be more grateful for that. On this program, we've got Russell Payne, the head men's soccer coach <laughs> at Army. Uh, they got the big Army-Navy game coming up this weekend, and uh, obviously he sends his best. But you did an outstanding job at Army. How did Army prepare you also for your job at Minnesota? You know, Army was a was a great job, and I absolutely loved every minute of it. And you know, I think one of the things I love the most about that institution is it's a it's a leadership development institution first and foremost. And those kids have so much on their plates. And I think that you really, really learn how to meet your team where they are, um, how to understand the daily grind that that those kids go through, and how to make the soccer experience great for them. You at the end of the day. You want them to enjoy the experience. You want them to grow. You want to push them, but you really, really want them to enjoy it and look forward to to that part of their their day. And you know, I think on a on a national scale, people look at the academies and they see all the challenges and they they don't feel you should have success because of all those challenges. And what we were able to do while we were there, and I think you know, Russell is is doing the the same thing with the men's program there is you look at those challenges and you use them as reasons why your team should have success, why they should be better prepared and stronger teams than anybody that that you're going to to face. Because at the end of the day, at places like that, they have to learn how to win because when they take their step to, to service, they don't have a choice. So we know she's super smart, went to Duke. She also got her master's in sports leadership at Northeastern University. We know she's a great coach, success at Army. has got Minnesota flat out on the map. Well, she's also a super mom, Max Golan, <laughs> born just a few months ago, and you're rolling right along. Right along. Things are good right now. Talk about uh, the birth of your newest child, Max. I love that name, by the way. I've got a Max myself. Thank you. Yeah, we, we refer to him as Mighty Max. Um, you know, he was born two weeks ahead of schedule. Um, um, you know, he was just ready to, to come into the world, and, you know, he's been smiling ever since. The The kid is, is a really, really happy baby. Um, he enjoys every moment of life. He's eating solid foods now, which is uh, a treat. And, you know, we have a, a 10-year-old son, uh, Travis, and last night I asked Travis, I said, you know, do you love your little brother? And he looked at me and said, Mom, I really do. And, you know, that was a, a great moment for me for sure. Well, we love the job you're doing at Minnesota. I'm a believer, and I was a believer when I called a game for you a couple years ago as well. And, you know, you've got Crystal Coleman, Seidel as well on the sidelines, so you got some of that old-time Minnesota flavor as well, that one year she played there. Things are just mm-hmm. looking good in, in Minnesota land, don't you think, Coach? Yeah, we're, we're really happy. You know, we've um, I think that we've done a, a great job of uh, building each team to get the program where we want to be. Um, you know, our, our kids, again, they're, they're excelling on the field. 
They're excelling off the field. Uh, you know, our team GPA this past uh, this past year in the fall it was uh, I believe a 3.49. In the spring it was a 3.53. Uh, so the kids are the kids are pushing themselves in all aspects of life. They're enjoying uh, they're enjoying what they're doing, and they represent the university the way that you want them to. Hey, listen, keep it going. Thanks for being a part of the NSCA College Soccer Podcast, and uh, we'll be pulling for you and the Golden Gophers. Dean, I certainly appreciate it and look forward to uh, you broadcasting more of our games in the future. From the other side, Olander has answered, and we are tied at one. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. Moving out of men's soccer, starting at the D1 level, Sasho Sarosky, part of our first show three weeks ago, has the Terps at number one in the country, and they face Damon Rensing, who was on last week's show, and the Michigan State Spartans Friday night at Ludwig Field in front of the crew. That place will be rocking. Todd Yegley's Hoosiers are number four, UNC Charlotte number five, and Jorge Salcedo's UCLA Bruins are number six. I skipped two and three because, well, Number two, Syracuse faces Bobby Clark's number three, Notre Dame, on Friday. And Syracuse is legit under the direction of Ian McIntyre. He is one of the brightest head coaches on the college circuit. Ian McIntyre has led Syracuse to unprecedented heights in his first six years at the helm of the program, including last year's College Cup, a 1996 Hartwick graduate. McIntyre coming into this season, 8-0, and was 168, 108, and 45. Add eight more victories to those numbers in 16 seasons as a college head coach. He's been honored with multiple coaching awards, including spearheading the Big East Coaching Staff of the Year in 2012 and being tabbed the ACC Coach of the Year and NSCA South Region Coach of the Year in 2014. 8-0, Notre Dame on Friday. The rankings released. Syracuse number two, Notre Dame number three. How's that sound, Coach? You're very kind, but uh, no, these are, the, these are the wonderful nights in college soccer where you get to... Uh, to, to test yourself uh, as a program against, uh, you know, Coach Clark. I, th- I think uh, he's the best of what we do, and uh, and uh, and here at Syracuse, you know, we hold programs like Notre Dame as the uh, <clears throat> as the benchmark. Uh, this is what we uh, aspire to, to move towards. So uh, it, we're really excited to, to test ourselves on Friday. Coach, in all honesty, you deserve all the accolades because you talk about coming into the ACC, going to a program in Syracuse that you know wasn't up there at the time with the North Carolina and then Maryland's and some of the other programs. The job you've done has been simply amazing. Talk about how Syracuse wrapped their arms around you and you wrapped your arms around Syracuse. Well, at the, at the time, you know, Hartwick was obviously and, and still is a very important part of uh, who I am and uh, obviously as my alma mater and uh, is and was very special. Uh, my wife at the time thought we were crazy. It's it's tough to leave Oni on to New York and move further north uh, in the <laughs> United States, but we, uh, we found a place here at Syracuse and uh, knew the tradition, had obviously competed as a student athlete and as a coach, uh, against uh, Syracuse and uh, uh, to really compete against uh, the best teams, the best coaches, and 
at the time, it was a move into the Big East, and uh, obviously with our uh, transition into the ACC, it's just uh, an exciting challenge each game, week in, week out. I'm glad you mentioned Hart Week because when you think about the NSCAA, you think Jim Lennox, you think Glenn Mooch Meyernick. I mean, boy, those are just a couple of the legendary names. That's a big-time program near and dear to the NSCAA. Absolutely. Um, I was fortunate to, uh, to be recruited to Hartwick by, uh, by Mucci, and uh, uh, obviously I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit biased, but uh, uh, Jim uh, has forgotten uh, more about the game of soccer than, than, than I know, and uh, fortunate to have him as, uh, as someone that uh, uh, I still um, talk to regularly. Um, had dinner with him uh, a few weeks ago and uh, uh, just a wealth of knowledge and along with you know individuals like the Jeff Tippings of the world these are these are educators have had a, a, an integral part in in certainly who I am as a coach today look I know that you're already moving on to 2016 but I am going to ask you to reflect on last year because here's why you made it to the college cup but Tell us, Coach, when did you know you had a team that was special enough to win a national championship? I think halfway through the season, we started uh, working out as a group who we were. And, and we, we had some important pieces that were very young, some important freshmen that were playing in goal and at the back. And, and I think we started uh, working out that, that when um, we appreciated who we were and, and played to our strengths, um, we saw that we were given teams. You know, we had uh, a difficult loss at, at UNC. Uh, we lost in the last minute to Clemson. Um, but then, when it came to tournament time uh, in the ACC tournament, we felt that we were pretty um, uh, a pretty tough out and uh, a team that um, we, you know, obviously the the run we had. We had NC State at home. But then to go to UNC, uh, go to Clemson, and then ultimately go to uh, Notre Dame, um, when we got through uh, that kind of uh, ACC gauntlet, uh, we felt pretty pretty good about ourselves going into the national tournament. Okay, so here we are with these rankings. You're number two in the NSCAA. You're number one in some other polls as well. Does that mean anything to you, Coach, as you're facing two and three, or does it not mean anything at all? Uh, it's a wonderful game on on Friday night, and as coaches, we always, uh, you know, we tell our guys, you know, don't get too carried away with the rankings. Uh, well, to start the season for any program, that initial ranking is based on a different team. That's last year's team, traditionally, um, that that gets you uh, in that initial top twenty-five. Now, having said that, what I do, you know, and most coaches, I'm sure, share the same sentiment. You just tell the guys what you can control is the next game, and if you keep winning games, you'll you'll stay um, uh, in that uh, that pool of teams that are uh, that are being recognised. And and our guys have, have uh, as a new group, uh, you know, it's well documented that we lost some important pieces from last year's team. Um, but our, our guys have found ways as we're growing and evolving um, to to win some difficult matches, and uh, uh, that means that you you know. All of a sudden, you, you rack up a few wins, and uh, and and we are where we are today. Um, and uh, Notre Dame is is the same. But but across, if you have a look at uh, uh, the ACC this year, is just top to bottom. There's so much, uh, so so many good teams, uh, um, and uh, 
you're seeing the success that the teams are having. Speaking of success, boy, you know, the landscape now for exposure for college soccer, including this college soccer podcast, networks now with games on all the time. I got a big game on the Big Ten Network coming up. I mean, of course, Friday's game will be featured as well. What has that meant for the game, Coach? Oh, it's been uh, it's been fantastic, isn't it? You uh, you can't avoid uh, college soccer now. You you, you turn on a, uh, a TV, you, you know, sh- with streaming now. Um, all of our guys are watching multiple games as well. Um, it's uh, uh, there's the exposure um, that our college game is uh, is receiving is wonderful. Now the NSCAA obviously puts together this podcast. We've seen you at the conventions. What uh, has that organization meant to your growth? Well, you you said it from the from the moment um, I, I came over. Um, I was subjected to uh, uh, to Hartwick and uh, and to that kind of the uh, that the lineage of coaches that have come through um, that program. And it, from the moment we. You know, I came over uh, from from Jim, uh, from from Mooch, and then obviously with Jeff Tipping coming back to visit uh, on a regular basis. Um, uh, the number of coaches um, uh, you can't avoid um, a, a Hartwick group uh, when you go to any. You know, you you put soccer and then you put a social piece to it. Uh, you normally bump into a Hartwick guy. So, uh, um, and it's uh, the convention as as being a big part of um, of who. Uh, I've been as a young coach and uh, now, now getting older um, and uh, also having a chance to, to watch wonderful educators. You know, we're all learning and, and I've been very fortunate to, to, uh, to be surrounded by some, uh, you know, top-notch uh, educators in this country. You're a big-time player, NSCA first-team All-American, Hartwick Male Athlete of the Year in 95 and 96, 18 goals and 10 assists in your career, a reputation for clutch goal scoring. As a player, how soon during your playing career or thereafter did you say, hey, I want to coach? It was a long time ago. Um, it's, uh, the game has come, has come along so far. I'm not sure if I, if I had the, the, the skill trait to, to be successful today. I'd be really intimidated by going to Notre Dame to play against their wonderful players this week. But uh, um, I, I was a player. Um, you know, do you remember that 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 term sweeper that, that is no longer used? Uh, Absolutely. So I, I always felt that even you know one of my strengths as a player was my organisational ability, and um, you, you become if you're going to have success as a as a uh, as an average, unathletic player, you better be a good organizer and, and surround yourself and uh, with with uh, with either athletes or special players that that can hide your weaknesses. Um, and you know, I've I've always been a um, um, uh, hopefully a student of the game. Uh, so I, early on, uh, I realized that that after after college, uh, I went and uh, and got my MBA, uh, but realized that that ultimately. Uh, soccer was was uh, my passion and, and ultimately what I felt I was best at. So uh, I was fortunate to get a, an opportunity to be a grad assistant straight after Hartwick with, with my uh, then assistant, Carl Reese. And, uh, and I was very fortunate to, to be given my first uh, head coaching position uh, as, a, as a young 24-year-old, um, wet behind the ears, not knowing much about it. I was very fortunate at Oneonta State that uh, I was entrusted with that uh, uh, coaching players that were 
uh, as old as me at the time. But uh, you, you learn a lot uh, by uh, being thrown into those uh, that kind of environment, and you learn a lot by uh, what you do well, but probably sometimes more with what doesn't work. Um, but I'm I'm always very uh, appreciative of of being given that uh, chance at a, at such a young age, and and hopefully. Uh, we'll be able to give, uh, you know, pass that forward to, to young coaches coming through now. Ian McIntyre, one of the true coaching stars at Division One soccer, led Syracuse to the College Cup a year ago, has his team 8-0, number two in the country, taking on number three, Notre Dame, on Friday night. Ian, delighted to have you on the NSCA College Soccer Podcast, particularly with such a big game on the horizon. Thanks for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Dean. Thank you very much. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. Russell Payne enters his seventh season as a head men's soccer coach at Army, and he has led his team to three straight Patriot League appearances. And who could forget his 2013 campaign when Army went 12 Three and three, simply amazing. And speaking of amazing, his entire career has been just that on the field as a player and as a coach. He's now a member of Jurgen Klinsmann's coaching staff for the U.S. national team. Russell Payne was a star, a blue chip recruit at Maryland, four year starter under Sasha Swarovski. And he would later serve as an assistant coach for five years with the Terps, winning two, count them, two national championships before coming to Army. Even before that, in 2002, he was named the Premier League of Ireland Goalkeeper of the Year. He played in Germany, Holland, and also had stints with Major League Soccer's Metro Stars, the Colorado Rapids, and D.C. United. And this weekend, it's Army-Navy 5 with some of the best attendances the last several years. And Russell Payne, thanks for being with us. Awesome to be here, guys. Thank you. All right, let's first talk about the Army-Navy game. In the last five years, the attendance of this game, we're now calling it Army-Navy 5 just because they moved it to Philadelphia. It's a big deal, Coach. Love that. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It's definitely one of the premier events in the landscape um, of college soccer and, and uh, I would say, and, and, and amateur soccer in this, in this country. We've been so blessed to have such a great – uh, outpouring of support in the Philadelphia area, you know, in the last few years, having, you know, nine and a half thousand, you know, a little over ten thousand fans uh, for the last couple years of uh, of its existence has just been truly special. I mean, you 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 know, you, you you hope that in your college career as a player, you get a chance to play on a big stage like this, and this is exactly what we provided for the boys. Yeah, and you've obviously been a part of all of them now in your seventh year. Talk about the decision to say, hey, we're going to play this at a big stadium in Philadelphia. Well, you know, it was kind of a no-brainer. Um, you know, my, my first two years here, we played at home and then away at Navy. And uh, going into my third season, you know, the, the idea had been brought up by myself and, and, and the Navy coach at the time, Dave Brandt, that maybe uh, maybe there's an opportunity to um, to piggyback on the tradition in Philadelphia of the uh, football Army Navy game. So <clears throat> the the folks at uh, at the Philadelphia Union, Carl Churkin, namely, um, thought that there was uh, some potential there, and, and, and it got legs um, in their offices, and they decided to to sort of support the idea. They got some great um, momentum with some sponsorships, and uh, and we were able to pull the game off in um, in 2012. And uh, I think at that, that time we got around 4,000 fans, and it was kind of a, a really late decision to, to, to play it then, and we still did a, to, to had a good crowd. 
since then, I think it went from 4,000 to 7,000 to 10,000, and then we've kind of been holding steady right around that number. So, um, you know, not not a lot of um, sort of extra planning that went into the idea. I think it was just, hey, you know, there's some momentum there with big Army Navy football. What can we do? And we have to ha- we happen to have a, a great setup with the Philadelphia Union and their folks down there to support it and, and, and get the uh, get the soccer community out to the game. Well, we're all pumped up for that, but we're also pumped up to spend some time with you as we talked about your career. Now with Jurgen Klinsmann and the U.S. national team, talk about what that's meant to your development, Coach. For my own personal development, it's it's been tremendous. Um, you know, I think um, <clears throat> you, you always hope that you have a chance to continue to, to grow and develop and be pushed, um, you know, whatever your career field is in. And, and, and I've been fortunate that, uh, you know, the work I've been able to do has allowed me to continue to to work with better and better players and better and better coaches. And um, you know, when Jurgen asked me to uh, to join his staff uh, a little over a year and a half ago, um, after having worked with the U20 national team for for four for two cycles with uh, with Tab Ramos and going to two of the World Cups with him, um, you know, I was delighted and uh, and and just just you know felt very fortunate to do so. And so that has helped me and 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 um, continuing to learn the management styles. Um, working with elite-level athletes and how that translates into um, developing young players. Um, you know, I was lucky that with the U-20s, I was working with the same age group of, of young men that I had as a, as, a, as a college coach at Maryland and coming to, uh, to West Point. So I, I, I had a good idea of, the, of sort of the, that stage in development, um, you know, sort of the mind state, the physicalness, the, the sort of the physical development, all those kind of things that go into – um, you know, developing young players at that 18, 19, 20-year-old age group, um, but also having played professionally, knowing what, uh, what pros want and what pros need, uh, I think helped me in my own personal background to, to deal with the national team players. And also, you know, several of the, the players that were in the program and the setup were guys that I either, you know, played with late in my career or, um, or knew from, you know, the landscape of, 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 uh, of college soccer, and they'd come through the ranks. Um, having spent some time overseas, knowing what those challenges are culturally, language-wise, um, the 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 approach of uh, of coaches and and you know in coach in, in countries like Holland and Germany and, uh, and 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 having played Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, so knowing the sort of UK-based coaches and, and Republic of Ireland-based based guys and the mentalities there, I think I was able to help um, just continue to give perspective to to the players at that level too. Um, so I, I've been lucky, um, and, I've, and I've really enjoyed the, um, the experience, and, and I'm growing. I continue to grow, I think, um, through every experience I have, and hopefully I'm also helping the players grow as well. Now, will you, with your college season, will you be there for the USA-Mexico game, or will you not be able to be there, Coach? That's a great question, Dean. So, um, you know, I, I plan on having my team in the Patriot League tournament, um, and that's the same week. And, um, you know, if, uh, if, if for some reason we are not in that position, then, um, then I, I will be with the national team. Um, but, um, you know, my plan right now is that, uh, you know, Army will, will continue to have a good season and, and uh, we'll be in the Bracely tournament. And, and that would, you know, obviously limit my, um, my ability to be involved. Um, you know, and we always we stay in touch, you know, sort of on a weekly basis. And we'll, we'll figure that out as the time comes around. Um, and if, if there's a window where I can, you know, get into the camp, um, you know, then I'll do so. Well, you're blazing great trails right now. Speaking of great trailblazers, Sasha Sarosky has done so much for the college game. Now the big push for the full academic year, soccer season. Talk about what you've learned under one of the all-time great Sasha Sarosky. <laughs> well, where do I start? So, 
um, you know, I, I could probably write a book on what I've learned, um, you know, having been, having, you know, played under and coached with Sash and then uh, obviously just staying in touch with him as a friend and as a mentor over the, over the years. Um, but, you know, the, the main thing that, I, that I've learned from Sash is that, um, you know, you always have to, you always have to enjoy, you know, going to work. You always have to, uh, you know, take as much time and, and, and create as much time for your family. And, um, and, uh, and you also have to, you know, be ready and, and be excited about the challenge of a new day. You know, you talk about all the things that Sash does every day or the things over his career that he pushes for. But at the end of the day, he's a passionate guy. Uh, he cares about his family. He challenges his players, but he also puts his arm around him and, and you know, gives them the, uh, the high support and high love. And, uh, but, um, but also provides the high challenge. And I've tried to bring that to my environment here and, and my environment with the national team. And I think, you know, if you do that, you combine that with your experience and, and hopefully some – and your coaching expertise, and, and hopefully it can mean success. From where you sit now as an African-American, how do you feel about African-Americans at the Division One level, and, and what's your trumpet statement on that? And that's a good question, Dean. I appreciate you asking me that. Um, you know, I think you have to look at it from a couple different perspectives. One is, you know, from a playing perspective, I think in the in the game of soccer, I think we have really solid representation on the on the, you know, in men's soccer as far as players. Um, you know, I, I think um, you know African American players, um, you know, are recruited and, and and valued as any other as any other playing group in in this country, and and that's good to see. And you see that within the youth national teams, and you see that within the full national team. Um, I think we can have more representation on the coaching level. Um, you know, we still don't have very many. Um, you know, I think we're sort of right around eight or maybe a little less head coaches in Division One soccer, um, whether that's, um, you know, a, a byproduct of guys going for jobs or getting interviews or, you know, um, you know, I'm not really sure yet. And, and you obviously we continue to keep an eye on those kind of things. But um, I, I'd love to see, you know, more representation from the coaching side because we definitely have a strong representation on the playing side. Um, and I think the more African-American coaches that continue to work their way up um, the ladder through assistant coaching positions after being maybe former players or working their way up through the coaching ranks and licensing ranks and all those kind of things, um, you know, hopefully those positions um, people in the, and people involved in those hiring spots see the value in having, you know, just a good coach. And if that coach happens to be an African-American coach, then hopefully that guy has just as much a chance of getting hired as anybody else. If you've never met Russell Payne, let me just paint the picture. He is the real deal. Amazing player, amazing person. And, I mean, the dude is hes good looking. I mean, he's over in Ireland. He's modeling while he's playing. He meets his wife on a model shoot. Even Stephanie Golan, who was with you at Army, talked about how good looking you are. You're a good looking dude, man. I hang up now. <laughs> <laughs> that comes from... Great parents, and and talk about uh, your family a little bit. Yeah, well, so mom, mom and dad uh, raised me in Columbia, Maryland. That's my that's a place of birth for me, and they were school teachers in uh, in Howard County, in Howard County, Maryland, and so I, I was part of a pretty strict home in terms of you know two, having two school teachers, and then they became you know principals and assistant principals at the high school, middle school levels. My brother and I both had my my mom and dad at some stage of our development, you know. Um, within the school, so that was always fun. Uh, <laughs> my parents are, um, you know, they're uh, two proud grandparents now. I've got two children, a six-year-old and a, a two-year-old. And, um, you know, my parents are retired. They live down in Hilton Head, South Carolina now, but they come up regularly to West Point. Um, they'll be there this weekend for the Army-Navy game. Um, so it's, it's great to have, 
to have their support and, and you know and they love soccer they've gone to you know the youth world cups they've come to the Copa america and, and gold cup games and all those kind of things so it's it's uh you know i'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have them around and, and my, for my kids to be able to continue to learn and under them. Finally, Coach, I didn't mean to embarrass you. Obviously, having a little bit of fun. Uh, you know, every week I talk to <laughs> Rob Kehoe, the director of college programs with the NSCAA, and he said, without question, you got to talk about this Army Navy game and talk to Russell Payne. So, with that, what has the NSCAA meant to you? The NSCAA has been just such, such a huge, integral part of my coaching, um, you know, sort of education, career, experience, you name it. Um, you know, the, the, the support of the college game. I think is the, the the number one avenue that I've seen in NSA be so 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 um, integral and important. Um, the strides that have been made just in the last decade, I would say, and, and with with all the challenges in the U.S. landscape of keeping college soccer relevant, um, have been tremendous. Um, you know, whether it's the broadcasting of games, whether it's um, making sure that uh, we have the, the proper sort of rules and guidelines that, that continue to grow our sport, whether it's supporting hopefully the this new academic um, season model we've got, um, whether it's been continuing to educate myself and our and colleagues of mine. Um, just really lucky that, that we have the NSCAA, and the NSCAA is such a big part of our American soccer landscape. Um, you know, most countries just don't have that kind of an organization at the quote-unquote amateur level um, of, of, of soccer. It's either you're with the pro game or you're, or you're um, you know, you do it as a hobby. And for us to have a professionalized organization of coaches um, that are not necessarily in the professional game is, um, is, uh, is tremendous and speaks volumes for, for what we have to offer in this country and how our, how our sport continues to grow. You know, love going to the convention every year, um, rubbing elbows with, you know, with colleagues, learning from the different seminars that are, that are put out there, and, uh, and also seeing, you know, the, the latest technology that, that comes to, to the forefront and, and gets pushed out across our country. I think it's just getting better. And, um, and, and I love to see how the relevancy of the NSC continues to grow. Russell Payne, the head coach of Army, big game this weekend against Navy. Thanks for being a part of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Dean, thank you so much for having me, and um, hopefully you guys are all able to, uh, to root for us this weekend. I right, appreciate it, Coach. Thank you. Take care. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game. Welcome back to the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. And it is with great excitement that we welcome in Ian Barker, the Director of Coaching for the NSCAA in February. It'll be five years in that position, but he is very familiar with the college scene and very active even to this day. Barker came to Minnesota in 1997 to lead the Minnesota Youth Soccer Association as Director of Coaching, which he did for 11 years before leaving in 2007. Also during that time, he was part of the Wisconsin Badgers as an assistant coach from 89 to 97. Of course, the Badgers won the Big Ten title and the national championship in 1995. And after his successful time at the University of Wisconsin, he assisted John Leaney at McAllister College, working with both the men's and women's programs. He took over the head coaching role of the men's program in 2003 and compiled a 152-74-21 conference record. And coaches, you hear and are reminded of your time in college soccer, winning a national championship at Wisconsin, and then your time at McAllister. Talk about those special moments in college soccer. Uh, well, thank you for the question. One would think uh, with 21 years of of being active in that arena that the 
the uh, highlight would be the national championship of 1995 at Richmond, Virginia, where we beat Duke in the final. Um, and it's certainly, it's certainly in the top 10, but perhaps the most enjoyable experiences I had was actually at the NCAA Division Three level, because when we were successful or when we had uh, major disappointments, it was much more in a collegial setting. It was much more in, in place relative to the kids' social lives or academic lives. And so when we had achievements at that level, I felt that it was even more special because there was a little bit more balance sometimes in what we were doing. Um, and McAllister played in the Minnesota Intercollegiate, uh, so we played a lot of schools that were quite like us, uh, private schools, uh, 2,500, 3,000 students, that type of thing. Boy, I love that answer because as part of the NSCA College Soccer Podcast, every week we're talking to Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, and NJCAA coaches. And, boy, there's some quality coaches at that level, Coach. Yeah, no doubt. Um, there's no doubt that uh, whilst uh, NCAA Division One completely reasonably gets a lot of the attention, I don't think that the divisional levels, uh, when we talk about one, two, three, junior college, uh, NAI, etc. Um, I don't think they necessarily reflect always the, the talent of the players or the talent of the coaching staffs. Um, so we kind of map a European understanding onto those levels, but they're not always necessarily accurate. All right, Coach. So with that, in your role as Director of Coaching for the NSCA, which, by the way, is a massive role, talk about uh, the importance you put on helping coaches that want to coach in college, assistant coaches, head coaches, you name it. Sure. We, um, we are finding that the residential courses where we're offering the national, advanced, national, and premier diplomas, that the average age is probably now in the mid-20s to mid-30s, and that a significant number, if not the majority, of each cohort are young college assistants, people that are aspiring to coach in the college game. We certainly see some coaches that um, are assigned to senior adult teams, be they semi-professional, professional. And of course, we see a lot of youth coaches and a lot of high school coaches. But I would say that probably if we were making bespoke content, it is very much for this 30-something, under 30, just over 30-something coach who is a second assistant, first assistant, and aspiring to be a head coach and determining whether they become a head coach sooner than later at a... Um, lower level or entry level or whether they do their time as an assistant at the highest level they can possibly do and learn the learn the trade so one of the things we try to help um, young college aspiring coaches or aspiring college coaches with is we try to help them with um, identifying what is their goal because I think there's a a pathway for each individual but it's not going to be the same pathway for each individual I love that. So you kind of said it without saying it <laughs> around that 30 age because the NSCA a few years ago started this 30 under 30 program. And I know you've got your your handprint all over that, Coach. Talk a little bit about that great program. Yes. Um, it was a program that originally came from our marketing department. Um, and part of the reason was to try to express to the general public that the NSCAA is a little bit more than um, a traditional uh, rankings, awards, um, pretty, you know, traditional, uh, if I may, sort of the, the uh, a bit of an old boys club, um, et cetera. So what, what the initiative for marketing was to expand the brand. Um, but what the, the practical reality is we've got scores of young people who have interfaced with the NSCAA. I think we're in our fourth, fourth cohort now, and typically we have 15 young women and 15 young men. 
Um, but we have over 600 applicants the first couple of years, and we now average about 400 applicants. So a tremendous level of engagement. Those that make the program um, are getting some mentoring, they're getting some education programs, they're attending convention, they're being hooked up with people in the field, the career field, um, be it college, high school, youth club, professional that they want to interface with. And then, of course, for the significant number of people that, that don't get into the 30 Under 30 program, we're trying to offer them some resources, some connectivity through uh, membership, attendance at convention, um, and other educational programs. But clearly, the, the, the future of the game, the, the next energy for our game, has to be by helping and supporting uh, the 25-something, 30-something coaches, but supporting them in ways that they need. So technology is a huge part of what they do. Communication skills, social media, um, a much different type of skill set than I, I required when I came into the game in the mid-'80s. Obviously, this is the NSCA College Soccer Podcast, but we're honored to have you on. So with that, with your five-year anniversary coming in February, what are you most proud of in your role of Director of Coaching, and what might be one big initiative that you're building toward, Coach? Well, I think building off of the work of Jeff Tipping and the academy uh, staff that I actually took my NSCA diplomas under, and now I get to work with on a regular basis, I feel that we've certainly maintained um, the quality of the educational programming, and I think we've refreshed it and revamped it so it speaks to a 2016-2017 audience. One of our challenges is that we have chosen as an organization to try to offer something for every coach along the spectrum. So it's quite a lot of content, quite a lot of products, if you will, educational products. But I feel in conjunction with my colleague Vince Gansberg, David Newbury, and a number of um, the academy staff, we've managed to achieve that. Moving forward, um, there is clearly a great enthusiasm in the e-learning space so that coaches can access content and educational content on their uh, on demand, if you will. But I think what we're really pushing out with as well is that we provide e-content, but then we always want to see people in person. So we're looking now to develop this blended education where the coach has ongoing support uh, in an e-environment, but is still coming out to in-person events, be they the convention uh, residential programs or attending college matches, professional matches, and doing match analysis and uh, a bit of a social activity in there too. Coach, finally got to know you a little bit better in 2014 when in collaboration with you and the NSCAA and Ohio University, we took 11 talented students with some top quality coaches over to Europe to cover the World Cup from Brazil. It was pretty awesome, Coach. What are your memories from that? Well, certainly if anybody pokes around on the NSCAA YouTube site, you can find the European experience. So it's footage from 2014, and it is superbly put together by the students from Ohio University. Um, amongst many um, recollections, one I have is we were at Ajax the day after Holland had beaten Spain 5-1, and we were able to receive an educational evaluation of the game from Arnold Muren, who is sort of a legend to me because he came to play for Ipswich and later Man United and um, it was for my era it was the first time the ball was on in the on the ground in the midfield in uh, English football and Franz Tyson and Arnold Muren were responsible for that um, when we got to Ajax your students wanted to, to have an interview with Arnold Muren but none of them knew who he was 
So I got uh, put into the uh, role of interviewer of, of a guy I consider a bit of a legend, and I was given no prep time, no warm-up, no nothing. So I got to chat with, with Arnold like we were old buddies, um, and your students put me right on the uh, right on the spot with that one. So that that's a that's a definite recollection. But just being in Europe, we were in France, Germany, Holland, and Belgium when their teams were playing in Brazil. So we all got to see the fan experience, um, and that was that was a special opportunity. I thought you rocked it. I actually threw you into that role, by the way, and you did fantastic, Ian. You're a natural, by the way. It was great spending time with you, and you're doing an amazing job. I love uh, your focus, particularly for this show, on on college soccer. I guess the last thing I'll leave you with, and I, kn- I love your story about D3, but, you know, the Wisconsin Badgers undefeated in Big Ten play for the first time in a long, long time. Do you still follow the Badgers? Yes, I saw, um, I saw this morning that they received votes uh, for the top 25, so that's fantastic. So, Kudos to John Trask. And I would be remiss if I didn't point out that my um, successor, Greg Olson at McAllister, has the, the McAllister Scots at number seven in the national rankings in NCAA Division III. Um, but what I will say, just as, as a closure, if we're, if we're heading to the end here, is to all the college coaches out there, I am <laughs> very mindful of how tough this period of time of year is. Um, you have your short seasons a lot of stress uh, at, at, at all levels. So um, I wish all of you well. I'm not missing some of the stress you're under, but I certainly am missing the opportunity to be with student-athletes on a daily basis. That is probably the single biggest miss moving from McAllister to the NSCAA. Brilliant stuff. Ian Barker, as we've got a lot of accents today, Chris Brown from Kenyon College, Ian McIntyre from Syracuse, and Ian Barker, the Director of Coaching for the NSCAA. Thrilled that uh, you're part of this week's NSCAA College Soccer Podcast, Ian. Thanks so much. Yeah, and I think Chris Brown is at number two in the NCAA Division Three with, uh, with Kenyon, so congratulations to Chris. And leave it to Ian Barker for the perfect segue. Chris Brown is in his 12th season as the head coach of Kenyon College, Division Three men's soccer team, and he has Kenyon at number two in the NSCAA rankings right now behind Trinity University of Texas. In the last nine seasons heading into this year, he racked up 122 victories, and that included two runs in the Sweet 16. He earned his bachelor's degree in full colors as a player at Queen Mary University of London, and he showed all of us he was a brilliant man when he later earned his master's degree at my favorite school, the Ohio State University. Good choice, Chris Brown, by the way, and thanks for being with us. I'm glad to be here, and yes, what a great school to go to grad school. So have you converted to American football? Are you all about Urban Meyer and the Buckeyes, or what? Not the biggest fan of American football, I have to be uh, completely <laughs> frank, but I, I the one team I do follow is, is the Buckeyes. All right, well said. Okay, number two in the country right now. It's so early. Do you even pay attention to that, Coach? Uh, not to be uh, to be down on on these rankings. For us, obviously, it's just about playing well and, and the kids uh, getting results. So uh, the ranking that counts is the one at the end of the season. So uh, that's the one we pay attention to. Speaking of great attitude, I actually went to basketball camp at Kenyon College a long, long time ago. What a beautiful campus. For those people listening nationwide, even worldwide, tell people how great Kenyon is. Well, we're a little school just outside of Columbus, Ohio, uh, set in a, a beautiful rural setting on a little hilltop. It is a, a little piece of paradise, and uh, I think people that come to Kenyon, it's a place that you know will speak to you or it won't speak to you. So, we, you know, we have a lot of recruits that come to campus and and uh the the place and the ambiance 
just speaks to them. And, and obviously, it's great to have a, a school that has such a strong academic reputation too. So, uh, you know, we're very, very fortunate to be working at such a great institution. Well, obviously, you're in your 12th season, so you must love it there. Talk about the style of play you like to play at Kenyon. Oh, well, we, you know, we try to play, uh, you know, aesthetically pleasing soccer, I think. Um, you know, we're not Barcelona, but, we, you know, we try to put an emphasis on keeping the ball and moving it quickly. Uh, we, you know, we like guys who can play. We also try and press defensively. So, uh, you, know, we, you know, we try and play the game the way it's supposed to be played. Um, and, you know, some days we're better at that than other days. Twelfth season now, as I, I just said, Division Three. Talk about uh, the quality of play at the Division Three level for those that aren't as familiar with it. Well, I coached in Marquette before coming to, to Kenyon, so I'm very familiar with uh, Division One, and, and, and obviously with 12 years at uh, Kenyon with Division Three. Um, I think uh, there's a you know people who are from outside the U.S. don't really understand the divisions. They don't really understand it's an administrative type of thing rather than a relegation promotion. And I think you know there's a lot of Division One coaches that have uh, a lot of respect for Division Three soccer, and I think you know at at the lower end of D1 and the higher end of D3, there's there's not a whole lot of difference, to be completely frank. Um, the players that we get, oftentimes, are, you know, borderline Division One players or, or players that could play Division One, but they, you know, if, if, if Stanford or Michigan or Notre Dame or the, the Ivies aren't interested in them, you know, we have a, a shot at getting them to come play soccer at Kenyon, you know. So, so there's some very, very good players playing uh, soccer at the D3 level. Indeed. Now, obviously, you grew up over in England, went to Queen Mary University of London. Talk about your decision to come stateside to pursue your master's degree and then stay here for soccer. I was very fortunate to win uh, a, a kind of academic um, assistantship to come to uh, grad school at Ohio State, um, which obviously changed uh, my life. Uh, I just prior to coming had finished my uh, uh, prelim license, which is probably equates to what is called the sea license these days. Uh, I'd done a little bit of coaching um, while I was in the in the UK, and then I came over here and, and, and volunteered to work with the, the men's team uh, at Ohio State. Um, Al Bianco was very kind to let me kind of get involved. And then I was approached by the, the women's uh, club team at the time, and I coached them for two years. This is just before they went to varsity and I had uh, really good experience Um we had a lot of success, and, and uh, I, I kind of really, at that point, decided I wanted to kind of pursue uh, uh, opportunities in the coaching field because it was something I really loved to do. And, and uh, there was, you know, and soccer at the time was really expanding. Uh, it really kind of gotten a hold of in, uh, you know, this is the mid-1980s, so it was really starting to expand. So uh, there was lots of opportunities, and I was fortunate enough to kind of... Uh, be here at the right time and, and obviously what I do and it's a, the best sport to be involved in. Tell me a little bit about uh, your time at Marquette, Coach. I was the uh, state director of coaching for Wisconsin. So um, I uh, they were very sort of prog- progressive um, uh, state association. They wanted their, their state director to be involved in something else other than just youth soccer just to keep their, their kind of but in the game, you know, at, at the more senior level. So um, my predecessor, Jim Laundrie, who actually took the job back when when I uh, when I left, um, he he uh, coached a, a very successful men's team and does to this day. I uh, knew Steve Adlard at, at Marquette, so I had the opportunity to to, to work there 
uh, with Steve for two years, and it was uh, it was a great experience. Uh, good school, and uh, and uh, you know I really enjoyed it. Finally, coach, are you able to get to the NSCA convention? And if so, what do you learn there? Yeah, I've been to many uh, uh, conventions, and uh, you know I think uh, you know every coach um, at every level can always pick up something. I mean, we are always changing what we do. We're always tweaking uh, what we uh, how we organize our weekly practice schedule, what we do at practice. You know how we set up, what we tr- what we try to achieve with the team, and so anytime I, I go to the convention and watch a session, there's always a little nugget there. If you listen closely and and uh, and uh, pay attention, there's always something to be picked up uh, from someone, and and it's amazing. You you can you can find things at, at a whole different um, you know a variety of different uh, presentations that, that can have a real impact. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the convention. I'm a big fan of con- continued learning. And, and I think, uh, you know, if you're, as a coach, if you're not continually learning, then you're probably, you know, it's probably a time to, to start doing something else. <laughs> well said, and I love your answer about the rankings. Doesn't matter that you're number two right now. You look to be number one at the end of the season. Well done, Chris Brown. Thanks for being a part of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. My pleasure, and thank you all. The NSCAA e-learning suite is designed to provide quality online courses for a variety of coaching needs. Whether you want to improve your knowledge of small-sided games, attacking principles of play, or defending principles of play, there is something for everyone with NSCAA e-learning. Accessible anywhere, the NSCAA e-learning suite can help you take the next step in your coaching education from the comfort of your home. Log on to nscaa.com slash e-learning to learn more. Please now to be joined by Travis Clark, a staff writer and editor for TopDrawerSoccer.com with a heavy focus particularly on the D2 level. Travis, thanks for being with us. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me on, Dean. Travis, one of the things we love about this show is we are indeed paying attention to every level of college soccer. So let's talk D2. What are some key storylines early in the season? One thing that's sticking out to me is the start that Charleston's had uh, Charleston, West Virginia. School Roberts has 10 goals for them in six games, and they kind of raced out of the gates. They've been doing pretty well of late. I made it back-to-back NCAA Final Fours, but they haven't been able to achieve the breakthrough. So that's been kind of one on the, for me on the men's side. And then the other thing is uh, Pfeffer lost for the first time since 2014, snapping a 28-game win streak. So those are two things that kind of jump out to me right away. When you think about the D2 level, who are – some coaches that have made an impact on you and your coverage of Division Two. Well, it's interesting to note the job that Bob Riso has done at Pfeffer. Uh, he's a, a, an alumnus, someone that was named to the the Sports Hall of Fame at the school, and and he he led this team on a you know magnificent run since taking over in 2013. I mean, you look at any any level of college soccer, any level of athletics, really, and to go undefeated in the season, and then not only to do that, but then to also win the championship. It's an impressive thing, and last fall they were able to go 25-0 and 0 and win the NCAA Division II men's title. On the women's side, some key storylines as well. For me, I, you know, there are many great programs and lots of storylines to watch, but it's hard to, to look at a season and not talk about Grand Valley State and what they're doing. They recently took over the number one spot in the polls, and, uh, you know, how, how about this for a dynasty, you know, since 2009, they've been to every Final Four, and they've won the last three straight national titles. Jeff Hosler's done a great job there for them. When you have a, a program like that, you know, maybe say like the Carolina of the 90s and the early 2000s, 
they're always going to have that target on their back. So can they keep that up? You know, they start conference play here soon, so they're going to have a target on their back as usual, and it'll be interesting to see if they can, you know, keep a high level going. How about that for the perfect segue? Please now to be joined by the national champion head coach of the Grand Valley State women's soccer team, talking about Jeff Hostler. Now in his third season with the Lakers, he's already led the team to two, count of two, NCAA Division II national championships. And, of course, in the recently released NSCA rankings, he's got the Lakers at number one in the country. Coach, that doesn't get old. Two national championships, number one in the country, rolling along. Who, who doesn't like winning every game, right? Well, that's, uh, that's the mindset, at least, Dean. Uh, been very fortunate here. Uh, last two years have been you know, just fantastic. Uh, couldn't be more proud of our girls. And uh, Last year, we felt like everything really came together for us after our season opening loss. You know, don't pay too much attention to the rankings because uh, with, with our program, it's what, what have you done for us uh, you know, last time out and focusing on the day. But really excited uh, that, that the team's playing pretty well early in the season. But we got a lot of work to do. All right, talk about your path to Grand Valley State, because I need to remind everybody, three years ago, Dave Diani led the Lakers to the national championship, and that led to the head coaching job at Iowa. How did you end up at Grand Valley State, Coach? Yeah, I mean, first, Dave you know, and Erica, his associate head coach, just did a fantastic job here uh, building the Grand Valley soccer program into a national uh, you know, power in the Division II uh, level. So uh, very fortunate to in- inherit a great program, a great culture that was set forth by them, uh, some very talented players, uh, certainly. But, uh, you know, I, I was at Alma College previously. You know, I coached at, at Alma College for eight years, uh, had great experience there. That, that in fact, is my alma mater. Uh, and we were able to uh, build that program into a perennial power uh, in our conference, won our school's first uh, conference championship and an NCAA tournament bid. So uh, I, I think there are a lot of great coaches that were uh, up for this job here at Grand Valley, and I just happened to be so fortunate uh, and blessed for this opportunity. When you took the job, looking at what Dave had left you and then the success you had at Alma coming here, did you think, wow, I can walk right in and win two national championships, or did that thought not cross your mind? That thought never crossed my mind. Uh, I can be honest with you there. Um, you know, like I said, Dave had, had left a, a good uh, footprint uh, here uh, and, and has established a great culture. But uh, those are big expectations, big shoes to fill, uh, certainly. So um, the transition also happened very late. You know, my position, uh, I stepped in, was hired uh, the very end of June. So we only had about five weeks to start to try and get to know the players, uh, start to, uh, you know, begin to implement our system and ideas, uh, you know, and, and hit the ground running really through our preseason. So, uh, you know, certainly a lot of work. Uh, I give our, our players a lot of credit, especially our senior class, because that's a very difficult transition to have to go through, uh, especially on short notice uh, with the respect they had for Dave. Uh, but very happy to obviously see, see the success we had and, and hopefully keep it rolling. Who have been your inspirations to be a coach, a mentor, somebody that uh, you try to model your coaching career after? Well, I've been very fortunate uh, to have played for and worked with a lot of great coaches. Uh, In my playing time at Alma College, uh, we had a Final Four team in 99. Uh, That was led by Scott Fry, uh, who's become, you know, a a household name in college soccer coaching uh, with, with the multiple national championships there at Messiah College now. Uh, Jeff Bateson then stepped in uh, as the, the head coach uh, when when uh, Coach Fry left for Messiah. Uh, Bates is now one of the assistant coaches at, 
uh, UNC Greensboro on the men's side, which is a very uh, you know well-known men's soccer program. Uh, so those are a couple guys that that I got to play underneath. I had a couple great basketball coaches growing up, uh, and, and worked with upon my graduation. And uh, you know, I happened to be in a community of of coaches that that really were committed to the game. Uh, Sean Burke, the head coach at Buffalo, and I worked very closely uh, upon graduation in the Lansing area. Uh, you know, so those are some of the guys that I think, you know, certainly set the mold and, and gave me a path. Uh, my father was an attorney by day and a coach by night, so he was uh, extremely dedicated and passionate uh, to coaching the youth uh, within the game. And there's no question a lot of who I am today and, and my coaching philosophies were established, you know, through that art, through our own household. I'm glad you mentioned basketball because it's not every day you find somebody that was outstanding in soccer and basketball. Yeah, it happens, but you were big time in both. Talk about uh, the two sport part of your career. I, I wouldn't. I would not say big time. Uh, <laughs> I was. A, I was a decent enough player uh, to have the opportunity for sure. Uh, very unique, uh, but Alma College and, and the Division Three model uh, was one that that offered that type of uh, opportunity. So. I really enjoy it at the time. My body is certainly paying the price today uh, for it, but uh, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. Uh, and it gave me just more exposure to, to college athletes, uh, you know, as teammates, uh, additional coaches, and uh, administrators with my involvement in athletics. So, uh, and I think there's a lot of things that translate from, from one game to the next. Uh, you know, particularly you talk about basketball and zonal defending uh, at times or man to man principles, and some of that can be applied to to soccer and you know the basketball of today where it's free-flowing uh lots of passing and movement uh, certainly can fall in line with possession oriented teams this is the nscaa college soccer podcast number four and we have talked about early on on this show we're going to put a lot of attention at the d2 d3 level junior college naia and early on i feel like it's important to ask the coaches how the level compares to to d1 and i'd love to get your opinion yeah, I, you know, I think there's a lot of very, uh, very strong teams in Division Two, I and mean, we we've seen a lot of them in our uh, our first three years here. Uh, you know, I, we're fortunate enough to have opportunities to play against the Division uh, One teams in our spring season. Uh, I think it helps uh, all programs with their budgets and travel uh, when when you want to make sure you keep kids in, and need to keep kids in the classroom during that segment. Uh, you know, I think those games have gone pretty well. We find ourselves pretty competitive. Uh, we win quite a few of them. Uh, we lose some of them as well. Uh, but, you know, spring matches are difficult to really assess your team or where your program's at because uh, you've got seniors that have graduated, your new class isn't in, it's not, it's not a full team. Uh, players have injuries uh, they're healing from from the season. So can't take too much stock in it. Uh, we appreciate the opportunities we have to do that. I think the level here is very high. I think the level at the, the top end of Division Two is is very high uh, and comparable with some of the the programs in Division One. So, uh, and, and I think we've shown that with some of our players. You know, Marty Corby uh, and the success she's had has been into a U, U.S. Uh, women's Soccer U23 camp in January uh, and did pretty well. Uh, so, I think the level of player here. I think our, our style of player level of play is is uh, pretty consistent. You grew up in East Lansing, talked about your time at Elma. How are Rochelle, your daughters Charlie and Kennedy, and your newborn son Stephen like in Allendale? We love it here. We really love it here. Uh, my wife also grew up in East Lansing, uh, so you grow up in a, a Big Ten town, you know, uh, in the shadows of Michigan State University, and, and that uh, you know, liveliness that, that 
the city brings, um, you know, in a Big Ten town. And we've just truly loved our move and transition here uh, to, to Allendale. Uh, you know, we're we're between Allendale and downtown Grand Rapids, so we're 10 minutes either direction. Uh, there's a lot of things to do for our kids. You know, Charlie, our oldest, at five and a half, just absolutely loves the game, which as a, a soccer coach you have to, you know, just melt your heart uh, to see her passion for it. You know, she scored two goals at her first uh, practice, and that's all she can talk about right now. Um, although I thought she might be a goalie. You know, she's <laughs> very invested in goal scoring right now, so uh, I appreciate that. And... Um, you know, there's a lot of things for the kids to do. A lot of museums, uh, places for them to go. The, the, the Children's Museum downtown is great. So the adjustment has been fantastic. Final 30 seconds. When you hear NSCAA, what's it mean to you? Community. Uh, the number of coaches that, that I've connected with, you know, not just directly through the convention in different years, uh, but, but how large that coaching community is and, and how everybody's interrelated and connected. And, uh, you know, it's certainly – those interactions are what help help have helped my path. You know, I, I think the best coaches uh, do a really good job of stealing ideas from others uh, and growing their own uh, philosophies. I like to call him the Haas because I had a good friend named <laughs> Hostler. I don't know if they're allowed to call you that or not, but uh, whatever they call you, you're the two-time reigning national champion at the D2 level. And you're the number one team in the country. That means you're a heck of a good coach. Thanks for being with us on the program. Dean, I really appreciate the time. Haas, Haas will uh, certainly work with everybody back home. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. For the fifth time in the last eight seasons and fourth year in a row, Cerritos College from the NJCAA Division III level and under the direction of head coach Ruben Gonzalez, won the CCCAA state championship. More importantly, perhaps, Cerritos College finished the season a year ago, earning their third national championship in the last four years. And it marked the fourth time in school history they were named national champions. The team is currently riding a 50-match unbeaten streak, which dates back to 2014. They are 6-0 to start the season with 24 goals for and just three against. And Ruben Gonzalez, as always, has Cerritos College as the number one team in the country in the recently released NSCAA, NJCAA, Division Three women's rankings. And Ruben Gonzalez joins me now. Coach, thanks for being with us. No, thank you for having me. Obviously, you're building a superpower at the Falcons. 50 games in a row. Are you kidding me? What's the deal? <laughs> Uh, you know, a little bit of luck and uh, a lot of hard work from, from the girls. Well, talk about the fabric of your team out there in California. I mean, how do you, you know, obviously there's no scholarships. How do you recruit? How do you build a superpower like what you have right now, Coach? You know, it's uh, a lot of recruiting, and we were able to, you know, establish the program, and now we, we get a lot of calls from girls from different places just because they want to come to one of the top programs in, in the state, and, and that's how we're able to continue it. It's, it's difficult because the turnaround is obviously we only have them for two years, and um, some of them we only have for one if they move on to, to a four-year university, and so we just try to continue to work and, and uh, you know, just sell our program. Looking online and taking a look at your stadium there in the press box, it's a pretty special place, right? What makes it so special, Coach? I think just uh, again, you know, the people, the people here, the the you know, our, our dean that really uh, is for sports, and you know, ultimately the the goal for us is to try to get these young ladies onto the next level to to a four-year school. 
You played at Cal State U Los Angeles. Leonardo Cuellar, uh, talk about him with the Mexican national team and what it was like uh, being around him. You know, great, great soccer mind. I there after I, uh, I I graduated as a grad assistant for a year, and um, you know he's like a second father to me. We're we're still keeping touch, and uh, you know we talk about every other week, and you know it, it's that's how I think the foundation and you know he's my mentor and how it's kind of established. Uh, a lot of those young guys now we're older. But at the time, a lot of them went into coaching. And, you know, we have uh, another coach at Mount Sac who's been real successful on the men's side. And, you know, one of the goalkeepers on the Mexican national team coaches has is, is, is been there for years now. So a lot of a lot of those uh, guys that we played with under Leonardo Cuellar have become coaches and successful coaches. He's just a great soccer mind. And, you know, we, uh, we tried to take everything in. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Paramount. I'm a local ki- local kid, you know, about 20 miles from from downtown Los Angeles, and uh, you know, I went to Cal State LA after high school, and uh, I started coaching high school. Uh, it was it's different seasons out here in California, and you know, I continued to coach high school. In 1997, I became an assistant coach at Real Hondo Community College on the men's side, and in 2002, I became the the head women's coach at Real Hondo. Was there for three years. The opportunity came here at Cerritos, and, and uh, it just kind of went from there. Now, what about the notion of coaching young ladies? Like, when did you decide, hey, I like this route? <laughs> it kind of happened by accident. I was on the men's side, and in and, and 2002, Rio Hondo, at the time, our dean asked me if I wanted, if I was interested in coaching um, on the women's side because our women's coaches, uh, something ended up happening. He couldn't do it anymore, so I came in as an interim coach. Um, as an assistant coach, I wasn't making a lot of money, and, and I interviewed for the job after my first year as an interim coach, and I kind of just fell into it, and, and I kind of found my niche, and I just uh, decided that uh, that's what I wanted to do. It was kind of by accident. Now, I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I watched the domination of Anson Dorrance's team for so long, and he just had that fire, that fight, didn't ever want to lose a game. You think about this unbeaten streak. Are you that way? I mean, is it one of those things where, man, I don't ever want to lose a game again? <laughs> well, that's how we approach it. I mean, we, we you know, obviously for us, uh, our goal of this program is to win a national championship, and if you, know, you lose a game, it's it might, it might not happen. So we've kind of the culture of the program is just that way. It's about winning and and for them refusing to to lose. And uh, and I think we've kind of instilled that on the girls. And when they come into the program, that's what we we let them know. And also, um, that's going to make them be successful moving forward. They're going to go, you know, from a winning program, they're going to go on to four-year schools. And a lot of coaches at the four-year level want winners. And I think that's what we try to do here. Well, speaking of winners, you have won the NSCAA Coach of the Year at the NJCAA Division Three level. What has that award meant to you, Coach? I mean, it's a, it's a great it's a great honor to to be you know uh, picked by my colleagues and by the NSCAA to to be Coach of the Year. A, a lot of it I owe to to my assistant coaches and you know, and obviously the girls they're the ones that play the game. And and for me, it's it's not winning it. it it's more my whole staff winning it because without them. You know, we're not where we're at, and, and it's just a great honor and privilege to, to, to represent that. Ruben Gonzalez getting it done. The man just doesn't lose out of Cerritos College. We'll be following the Falcons the rest of the year and hopefully touching base with you at the, as part of the NSCA College Soccer Podcast at the end of the season when you're holding some more hardware. Does that sound okay, Coach? <laughs> that would be great. All Thank right, Ruben. For, for no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Ruben Gonzalez, thanks for being with us.
Thank you for having me. Have a good day. Okay, when we come back, we'll hear from the NAIA, both men's and women's soccer. Got it all covered as part of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. The 2017 NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com. Welcome to the NSCAA podcast for the week of September 19th. I'm Chad Waller, giving you information on all news around NAIA women's soccer. Let's get started. Spring Arbor remains the number one team in the new NAIA Coaches Top 25 poll announced Tuesday. This is their third number one in a row and most in school history. The Cougars are off to a 7-0-0 start on the year. Central Methodist leads the NAI and wins in the early going with an 8-0-0 mark. Looking at coaches around the NAI, Coach Brian Harvey of Oklahoma City University is inching closer to the 350 win club. Currently, he sits at 345 career wins. Currently, he is number one on the active NAI women's coaching list. Coach Patrick Gilliam of Trinity International University is approaching the 300 win club. Coach Gilliam needs just 10 more wins to reach the milestone. Looking at programs around the NAIA, Siena Heights is approaching the 400 win club as they currently sit at 393 victories. Siena Heights is looking to become the third ever team in NAIA women's soccer history to reach 400 wins in their program. Now, taking a look at some highlighted players around NAI women's soccer, Julia Skojan of Fisher College leads the NAI in goals scored in a span of just five games through the early part of the season. She went for a season-best eight goals on September 1st, and overall she has punched in three or more goals on four different occasions this year. Tia Sanford of Indiana Wesleyan University has been named the NAI National Women's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, while Ashley Timmons of Spring Arbor University has been named the NAI National Women's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. Looking at the stats for Sanford, she recorded eight goals and three assists in three matches this past week. Timmons, in goal, in goal posted a career-high seven saves in the win against number 8 Martin Methodist. That's Chad Waller from the NAIA with an NAIA women's soccer update. Now we hear what Chad has to say on the men's side. In the first regular season edition of the NAIA men's soccer coaches top 25 poll announced Tuesday, Oklahoma Wesleyan University boasts the number one ranking for the first time in school history. With 11 first place votes, the Eagles are riding a 20 match unbeaten streak at 18-0-2. Oklahoma Wesleyan next hosts number 23 Southwestern Christian on Saturday. The Eagles are searching for their fourth top 25 win already this year. With that 20-match undefeated streak, Oklahoma Wesleyan holds the second longest active streak in NAI men's soccer behind the 22-game undefeated streak of Campbellsville University. Currently, Campbellsville is 6-0-0 on the year. 
One of the other hottest teams in the NAIA is fifth-ranked Hastings College, who vaults all the way up from a number 25 preseason spot. The Broncos have sprinted out to a 7-0-0 start with wins over four top 25 opponents, including then number 10 Baker University earlier this year. Hastings is one of nine teams in NAIA men's soccer to record seven wins in the early going, the most in the NAIA. Two coaches recently hit the 300-win career milestone in the NAIA, Coach Dave Wolf of Westmont College and Coach Jim Rickard of the Masters University. Wolf hit his 300th win on September 12th, while Rickard celebrated with his team on September 16th. The pair become the 7th and 8th active men's head coaches in the NAIA to hit the 300-win threshold. Congratulations to both head coaches. Coach Steve Burke of Judson University is currently number one on the all-time and active NAI list with 539 wins as he, as he is in his 33rd year of coaching. Currently, his Eagles stand 2-2-2 two, two and two so far on the season. Heading into the year, Coach Burke is number 10 on the career wins list among all NAI and NCAA men's soccer coaches. Jay Martin, the current head coach at NCAA Division III Ohio Wesleyan University, is number one on that list with 673 wins. Looking at some player highlights, Northwestern Ohio claimed a pair of honors as Pepe Cejudo has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, and Nikola Havetic has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. Cejudo recorded his team's only two goals in the shutout defeat of former number one ranked Rio Grande last week. Kovetic, he made a program record 10 saves in goalie for the 2-0 shutout over then number one ranked Rio Grande. Looking at the NAI goals leaders so far on the year, Daniel Whitehall of Hastings College and Joao Costa of Truett McConnell have the most goals thus far at 12 apiece. Whitehall has posted the 12 goals in seven games while Costa has done so in six. This concludes the NAIA Men's Soccer Edition of the NSCA Podcast. Check back next week for more exciting news around NAIA Men's Soccer. Thank you, Chad, and whew, what a show. I want to thank Sue Marriott, the coordinating producer of the Big Ten Network and BTN, for allowing us to play the Simone Colander goal for Minnesota. Stephanie Golan, the head coach of Minnesota. Ian McIntyre, the top man for Syracuse. Russell Payne of Iowa. Jeff Hostler of Grand Valley State, Chris Brown from Kenyon College, Ruben Gonzalez from Cerritos College, Chad Waller again of the NAIA, and Ian Barker, the Director of Coaching for the NSCAA. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week as part of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.